Hello and welcome into the first ever episode of Behind the Catch Fence. I'm your host, David Hoffman. And a little bit about me before we get into, obviously, everybody's favorite sport and why you guys are here, IndyCar. I just finished up my freshman year at Liberty University studying digital media performance. And uh, basically, I want to get into sports broadcasting. And my main goal is to get on NBC, NBCSN for IndyCar. This podcast will give you everything you need to know about IndyCar news, opinions, trivia, you, you name it, I got it. You can also follow me on Twitter and roast my butt about some stupid opinion I had on the show. And you can follow my Twitter at Behind Catch. I don't understand why it's at Behind Catch because this is really dumb, but thank you Twitter for that. And uh, just hoping to make it big in IndyCar, so it'll be very interesting to see if this podcast can take off. I'd also like to give a shout out quick to No Copyright Music which is a free audio library where basically it's for broke college students who don't have money, who are trying to do podcasts and get into the industry of podcasting, you know, just to get free music and so it's not completely lackluster and boring of a podcast. So shout out to them. Please don't sue me because I'm broke and I'm trying to not have to work two jobs just to pay for music for a podcast. So uh, thank you guys. No copyright music. Check them out on YouTube. And with that, let's dive right into last week's race, the IndyCar Grand Prix at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I'll just do a quick recap here. Uh, obviously, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing teammates Felix Rosenquist and Scott Dixon started on the front row. It was a frantic opening lap with Andretti Autosport driver Alexander Rossi getting tagged from behind by rookie Patricio Award, damaging the rear axle of his car and ruining any kind of decent points day. Uh, and then a couple laps later on lap 11, Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsport driver Marcus Erickson would break loose and slap the wall hard, and that would end his day. Then on the following restart, Scott Dixon would take over the lead, but behind them, chaos would ensue with rookie Colton Herta getting turned around as well as Ryan Hunter Ray. Things would really begin to get interesting after a lap 20 restart with various strategies coming into play, with rain beginning the sprinkle and it became a cat and mouse type of game. Team Penske's Joseph Newgarden. Patricio Ward and Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport driver James Hinchcliffe were all off sequence, and those three were all banking on one of two things. Number one, the rain would fall hard enough where everyone would have to come in and put on rain tires before those three had to pit and surrender first, second, and third. Another thing they were banking on was, you know, a caution would simply fall before they got into their pit window, and it put everybody on the same strategy and the playing field would be even again. Elio Castroneves, three-time Indy 500 winner, would spin coming off of the pits on lap 59, and immediately as that happened, the entire front of the field came in and pit. It was still a toss-up between Firestone Reds and rain tires, but by the time they took a full lap around the track under caution, the track became too wet to run slicks, and the drivers who had taken Reds the lap before on pit road would have to pit again. So drivers like Simon Pagano, James Hinchcliffe, Joseph Newgarden, and guys like that would have to come in once again, and that put them... Around 8th to 10th, going. I mean, I honestly thought that nobody would be able to um, catch back up to the, maybe even potentially go for a win, but obviously I was dead wrong, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, the green flag would wave once again with 17 laps to go, and Scott Dixon would shoot out to a 7-second lead. However, Team Penske's Simon Pagano would masterfully chase down Scott Dixon, and on the 4 laps to go, Dixon had a mirror full of that Dayglo Menard Chevrolet. I will tell you one thing, it's a little off-topic, but... Simon Pagano's Dayglo Menards car is absolutely beautiful. I do have a story about that. Well, I was at um, the, the uh, Indy 500 a couple years ago. It was 2017 during the autograph session. I go up to Simon Pagano. Uh, in the autograph line, I had his uh, 118th scale die cast uh, with me. Because obviously, what else are you going to get signed? 
118th scale die cast by a green lighter, absolutely amazing. And uh, when I went up to him, he's like, and you know, in his French accent, I can't do a French accent. You don't want to hear it either. But um, I go up to him and he's like, oh man, I'd love that car. It's such a beautiful car. He kept on saying it over and over for probably, you know, a minute and a half straight. It's such a beautiful car. I'm so glad you bought that. It's like, yeah, bro, you drive that almost every weekend. But anyway, <laughs> back to the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Uh, Pagenaud would pounce with just two laps to go, and he'd go go for the win. And it'd be his first time since Sonoma in 2017. So it was a great way for Simon Pagenaud to get back into the swing of things and come away with a win. Now, as you look at the results, I'll go through the rundown. Uh, Simon Pagenaud would end up first, got Dixon second. Jack Harvey with Meyer Shank Racing would end up third, a career best for him. AJ Foyt Racing's Mateus Leist would end up fourth, Spencer Piggott fifth, Ed Jones sixth, last year's Indy 500 winner Will Power would be seventh, rookie Felix Rosenquist would be eighth, Graham Rahal ninth, and rookie Santino Ferrucci tenth. And some other notables as we look down the rundown, Sebastian Bourdais would end up 11th, Takuma Sato would be 14th, Joseph Newgarden 15th, James Hinchcliffe 16th, Ryan hunter Ray would run into issues, he got spun by James Hinchcliffe, earlier in the race, and he'd end up 17th. Tony Kanan, 2013 Indy 500 winner, would end up 20th. Elo Castroneves, who had those issues on pit road and would spin on lap 59, he would be 21st. Alexander Rossi, title contender, 22nd. And after looking at the results, I have some winners and losers of the week. This would be a weekly thing for every single race. I'll have three winners and three losers. Let's start off with the three losers. I don't like to call drivers losers because none of them are. They're all badasses, but loser number three, Alexander Rossi. Rossi's weekend went from bad to worse last Saturday, and Rossi's team, they never really found speed all weekend, and then the, obviously a mediocre qualifying effort of 17th really put them behind the eight ball. To make matters worse, starting towards the rear is the last place you want to be with aggressive drivers trying to force their way towards the front as quick as possible, especially with the Indy road course being so difficult to pass. Contact with Patricio Award basically ended any shot for Rossi to make any way towards the front, and Rossi would end up riding around the rest of the day, obviously in 20th. That really put a damper on his points, but not by much. He's still currently third in the points, but as we move on, let's go to loser number two. Elio Castroneves. Now, the last person I want to call loser is Elio Castroneves. First off, you got that just slicked back hair. No grays to be found. He's just cool in general, you know. Cool as a cucumber. That hair, I really need to talk to him about how he gets his hair exactly like that and how much gel he uses per month. That'd be interesting to see how many, you know, if it's Axe or some other stuff. Who knows? But anyway, he's loser number two from the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Uh, with Castro Neves only running the month of May, it was crucial for him to get back up to speed in an IndyCar after running one of the Team Penske's IMSA entries throughout the last couple months. I mean, despite a mediocre qualifying effort of 15th, he did slice his way through the field early to run as high as 9th. However, he never really had speed to contend for a top 5. Adding insult to injury, spinning off a pit road to bring out a caution set Castro Neves back even more, and he would end up a dismal 21st. And then finally, loser number one, I gotta go Joseph Newgarden. Like his other Penske teammates, Newgarden also struggled to find speed, especially in qualifying. And obviously, we don't like to talk about losers all the time. None of you guys are losers. If uh, if Alexander Rossi, Elio Castroneves, and Joseph Newgarden, if you guys are listening, you guys aren't losers, I'm telling you. 
So you better not uh, jip me out of an autograph here in the next couple of weeks when I go to Texas and hopefully mid-Ohio. But uh, winner number three, Mateus Lace for AJ Foyt Racing. Obviously, it's been a difficult and frustrating IndyCar stint for Laced up to this point. The former British Formula 3 champion and three-time Indy Lights winner has struggled to find any positive in his young career, but he persevered and found himself one spot shy of a podium on Saturday, finishing fourth. It was his first career top 10 finish, and it definitely gives Laced and the entire AJ Foyt racing team a huge confidence booster going into the month of May. The month of May, I feel like, is AJ Foyt Racing's time to shine. They just don't seem like they have any speed going into any other race weekend but at Indianapolis. It's even Pocono as well. But it's just, I don't understand. I know it's going to be a little bit off topic, but one question I have is, why does AJ Foyt Racing struggle so much? I mean, he's a legendary driver, AJ Foyt. He's one of the best ever to do it. He's one of the best to ever step into a race car. Like, you'd think he would have as much equipment, the best the best of everything, like Andretti. But they just seem to always struggle every single year, no matter who gets slapped into the car. Takuma Sato, arguably, has probably been their best driver in the last decade. I mean, Sato, he ended up notching two or three victories, and Sato was a contender for a lot of events. Even IndyCar legend Tony Kanaan can't contend in an AJ Foyt Racing Chevrolet. I don't know what their issue is, but hopefully Laced and Kanaan can have a great great month of may and hopefully they can have a good showing come sunday may 26th winner number two simon pagino dating back to last season it's been a struggle for the 2016 indycar champion pagino recorded only two podiums in 2018 along with leading only 31 laps the start of the season was the same story poor qualifying efforts by the team and really struggling to contend for any wins at all Pagano got back on track last weekend and reasserted himself as a title contender with the win. I feel like with Simon Pagano, he's just been trying to really figure out this car in general. And obviously last year, like I had said, he'd really struggled all season. Two podiums in 2018? That's just not Team Penske-esque, and that's not Simon Pagano-esque. And I feel like Pagano's really trying to figure out these new these new era kits, the new race car in general, and now... I think he just now figured it out within the net, within the last two weeks. And if Simon Pagano can figure out a race car, you better watch out because I feel like Simon Pagano might be the greatest threat to Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden right now. But we will see how Simon Pagano ends up running the rest of the season and how the championship standings will play out. But moving on to winner number one. Well, we need like some kind of prize for this. I mean, we should send like a t-shirt or a sticker Although I'm too poor, I'm a freaking college student. I don't have any money to to like make stickers or t-shirts, at least until somebody starts paying me to do this freaking job. But anyway, winner number one, drum roll please. I gotta go winner number one, Jack Harvey from Meyer Shank Racing. For Harvey, it was an outstanding third place qualifying effort to put him in prime podium position, and he backed it up on that Saturday, running in the top five for the majority of the race. I did find it very interesting during the broadcast, they did mention how Harvey had never driven an IndyCar in the rain before, and he honestly wasn't phased at all by the rain, and he was able to adapt and thrive to his first ever podium finish. I honestly feel like Jack Harvey could really contend for a top 10 standings position by the end of the season if he does run next year full-time for Meyer Shank Racing, if they do officially make that move. Harvey's a sneaky good driver, and I feel like Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport really found a good guy in him. 
I could see I could honestly see a scenario where Meyer Shank Racing and Schmidt Peterson Motorsport officially just merge together and they're able to field a third car and potentially a fourth car. We know we obviously don't know the status of Robert Wickens right now. We're hoping that he gets back next year, maybe. He did say he wants to come back in twenty twenty, so I have full belief that Robert Wickens will be back in an IndyCar by two thousand twenty. But I feel like it'll be a great lineup. It'd really help expand Schmidt Peterson Motorsport in general and maybe become a more title threat team and uh, kind of stick it to the big boys and Team Penske and Chip Ganassi Racing. Obviously, James Hinchcliffe is their Pied Piper right now. Then Marcus Erickson, the rookie from Sweden. Uh, Robert Wickens, if he does come back, which he will. And Jack Harvey, that's a solid team, to be honest. And if if they can, if that does happen, I feel like you have to watch out for Aero Schmidt Peterson Motorsport with Meyer Shank Racing. That'd be kind of interesting to see. But with that, let's move on to IndyCar standings as we speak right now. Joseph Newgarden is currently number one, followed by Scott Dixon, Alexander Rossi, Simon Pagano, and Takuma Sato. Right outside of the top five is Will Power, Graham Rahal, Sebastian Bourdais. Ryan Hunter-Ray, and Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports' James Hinchcliffe. As a look at the standings, I feel like the top two that could really contend for Newgarden, Dixon, and Rossi's spots is definitely Simon Pagano and Takuma Sato. Obviously, Pagano's win last week at the Grand Prix of in- Indianapolis. But also, you have to look at Takuma Sato for Ray Hall and Lanigan Racing. Obviously, he did win in Birmingham, and it's absolutely dominating performance by him. I feel like Sato, if he's in the right car, right situation, right time, you know, right equipment and everything, I feel like Sato could really be a title contender. And then obviously you have to look kind of further back, Will Power, if he has a strong rest of the month of May, and he could potentially, you know, get back into the swing of things. Obviously he's sixth in points right now, which is a great position to be in. As I scroll down through the point standings right now, Tony Kanaan, 22nd in the standings with only 66 points earned through five races. That's just unheard of to me. I mean, he's a champion of the sport, Indy 500 champion as well, legend in motorsports. Man, it's just the AJ Foyt racing cars. They're just straight up terrible. They don't have the good equipment, period. And you feel so bad for the guy because he should be running up front every single week. But he's not. And it's just, it's unheard of and it's just pathetic in my opinion on AJ Foyt racing's part. I mean, even though I feel like Kanan's career is coming to a close here shortly, maybe within the next four or five years. I mean, if that, I still feel like Kanan could still be a, you know, a contender for a top 10 every single week, but he's just struggling to get in the top 15, even top 20 sometimes. And I, I don't know, it, you just hope that Kanan and Mateus Laced and all of AJ Foyt Racing can figure out a way and get good equipment to be able to contend Mateus Lace is just being hampered with his development if he's running in such crappy cars. I mean, he has a great teammate in Tony Kanaan, but they can't do anything with it right now. And hopefully they can get that figured out and maybe have a strong month of May and get top 10, top 10 finishes in the Indianapolis 500. And with that, we will move on to Indy 500 qualifying. Who has the edge going into qualifying? I'm going to give you guys a couple teams with drivers to look for. I mean, first off, you have Ed Carpenter Racing. They're always fast at Indianapolis. Ed Carpenter, who won the pole last year, is always a real threat in qualifying. Carpenter, he's had great top 10 speed in all of the practice sessions so far this week. Uh, Spencer Piggott, I feel, is a dark horse to potentially get on the front row. 
with a season-high fifth-place finish in the Grand Prix last week. He has a lot of momentum going into Saturday. Also, I would not sleep on Ed Jones, whose Scuderita Corsa, Ed Carpenter Racing entry, has been sneaky quick in all the practice sessions. And he did top the charts in no-toe speed on Thursday, so that is definitely something to look for. Ed Jones ran top five in the Grand Prix as well for most of the race and ended up sixth, so Jones could potentially be a threat come Sunday. Let's not forget his third place finish in the 500 as a rookie in 2017 either. I feel like Jones, he just has a knack for Indianapolis Motor Speedway in general, so definitely look for Ed Jones to potentially be a surprise pole winner. Moving on, let's go to Team Penske. Obviously, it's a no-brainer. They always bring their A-game every single week, and especially Indianapolis Motor Speedway, with obviously Roger Penske having 17, 17 Indianapolis 500 victories and 17 Indianapolis 500 poles. Last year's Indy 500 winner Will Power had top five no-toe speed in multiple practice sessions this week, as well as teammates Joseph Newgarden and Simon Pagano. Elio Castroneves has always been quick, and despite not showing much no-toe speed, they'll dial it in before Saturday, I'm sure, and they'll be up in the mix. Last year, all four of Team Penske's drivers qualified in the top eight, including three in the top five, so expect all of Roger Penske's entries to be contending within the top five. I also got to look at Dale Coyne Racing. Sebastian Bourdais has had an illustrious career, but he's just never won an Indy 500 before. Everyone remembers the, his horrible crash in 2017, which sidelined him with multiple fractures in his pelvis and a fracture in his right hip. However, Bourdais is just straight up fearless, and he came back the following year with a fifth-place qualifying effort. Both Bourdais and his rookie teammate Santino Ferrucci have really been impressive in practice, with both being inside the top 10 for the majority of this week's practice sessions. A little side note with Sebastian Bourdais' wreck back in 2017 in qualifying. A couple months after that wreck, I was just scrolling through eBay, just trying to find something interesting to take to a, take to an IndyCar race and get autographed by somebody, you know, something interesting, something unique. I happened to stumble upon Sebastian Bourdais' rear bumper pod, and I'm like, this is kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, I didn't know what race it was from. Nobody really knew. But after I'd bought it, uh, you know, had it for a couple months, and I just kind of speculated, oh, this is probably from either uh, Indianapolis or a Texas, you know, a bigger... A bigger track where you know they obviously need the bumper guards and everything else and i finally did take it to pocono raceway last year and at the autograph session i walked up to him Bourdais kind of stared at the bumper guard and he's like oh that's that's definitely from the the bad one in 2017 i'm like i'm not sure it probably is he's like oh yeah it definitely is and he kind of stared at it like oh crap why is this kid bringing this random stuff here i'm having flashbacks right now I'm sorry, Sebastian Bourdais, if that ruins your day in any way. I, I sincerely apologize, but thank you for autographing that. It is one of a kind, and I'm just now convinced that that bumper guard is from the 2017 wreck. And uh, hopefully, you know, maybe, you know, it's a great story piece, and I'll have to post that on Twitter sometime and show you guys. Honestly, with practice, it especially this week, it's really difficult to tell who has the edge until, until the practice is after qualifying. The first week of practice basically consists of teams that have a variety of different things on their agenda. Some will be doing mostly qualifying runs to get their car dialed in for qualifying one day, while others are working on getting the balance of the car right for the race. For example, for Team Penske, let's say Will Power and Joseph Newgarden, they might be on top of the speed charts because they're mainly focused on running qualifying laps. Simon Pagano and Elio Castroneves might be towards the bottom of the speed charts in practice, but they're more than likely running their race setup to get the balance right getting all the kinks out of the car. 
A big plus for teams is if their cars run really similar and then it's easier to share information and have the best possible car set up for each team come race day. Moving on to our next topic, 36 entries, 33 spots. Who gets bumped from the Indianapolis 500? Basically, I'm going to run down a couple drivers, probably two or three, and just give you a reason why I feel like they might get bumped from the Indianapolis 500 come Saturday. First off, i got to go rookie Ben Hanley for Dragon Speed. Hanley's just been really struggling to find any speed at all this season, and with obviously the brand new team in Dragon Speed, it's a it's extremely difficult to have any speed at all, and it showed with practice. He was just dead last in most of the practice sessions all week. Hanley, I, I mean, what do you expect from a brand new team? They don't have the technology, they don't have the equipment to be able to even contend for top 15, top 20 practice times. So it, I mean, they're doing as much as they can, and hopefully, if they, I mean, even if they do get bumped, they can come back next year having learned a lot and maybe have more technical support from maybe a Carlin Racing or somebody like that. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and if they can find any speed before qualifying tomorrow. This next one is going to surprise some people, but I have to say it, McLaren's Fernando Alonso might get bumped, and I feel like he will get bumped come Saturday. It's a, Honestly, this whole month of May for Fernando Alonso so far has been a disaster waiting to happen. In 2017, obviously his entry was fielded by Andretti Autosport, and he had arguably the best equipment available to him. He had all the technical support from Andretti, and just he had he had drivers, you know, the base information off of like Takuma Sato, Alexander Rossi, Marco Andretti, and Ryan Hunter Ray. This time around, the only technical support is coming from Carlin Racing, and obviously Carlin, they're still a young team. They're still trying to figure out a lot to, a lot of stuff too, and they're they've been struggling mightily too. But McLaren, they're basically all on their own with this time around. I did find it interesting, McLaren's chief executive, Zach Brown, said in April that joining IndyCar full-time will be more when than if. He also mentioned earlier in the year that a full-time entry will depend on this year's Indy 500 and how it goes for the team. At this point, I don't I don't think McLaren's going to come to IndyCar anytime soon. I mean, they might try it, but I don't think they're going to get, first off, the, the technical support to be able to kind of get off the ground and get off running. And secondly, I mean, they obviously knew the whole month of May was going to be nowhere near easy. But I feel like they're if they're really committed to running full-time in the next two years, they won't just go all in on the Indianapolis 500, the biggest race of the year. They have time to turn it around. Maybe they can find speed before tomorrow, but it's not looking bright at all for the Formula One legend and McLaren. I also, when I'm looking at the at, at the uh, practice charts and everything, I'm kind of worried about James Hinchcliffe and Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports. I mean, obviously, we all know Hinchcliffe got bumped from the field last year, but it's just one of those things where do you think they would have come back here swinging? They would have, you know, been top 10, top 15 in practice the entire week, but it's been the exact opposite of that. It seems like they've really been struggling to find any speed. They've been, like, around the 20th to 29th, type of range the entire week and I mean people say you know don't really pay attention to the practice charts that much this week but it's one of those things I really don't know if James Hinchcliffe has any speed even if he does make it into the show on come Saturday it he doesn't I mean it doesn't seem like they have speed at all to even contend for a top 10 and it's sad because three years ago they were on pole for the Indianapolis 500 and what happened? I mean, 2017, they didn't have speed with any of the drivers, and 
he kind of snuck into the top 10 before getting crashed out with Will Power and James Davison in the closing laps. But this is one of those things you're like, I just don't understand how you can go from winning the Indianapolis 500 pole to kind of being mediocre, top 15, top 20-ish, and, you know, just riding around 15th all week. And then getting bumped from the race the year after and then coming back with no speed at all in 2019. I feel like Marcus Erickson's had the better car the entire month here in practice, and I feel like it'll be interesting to see if James Hinchcliffe, Jack Harvey, Oriol Servio, who's running the one-off race here with Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, and Marcus Erickson, if they can figure out, you know, here's what our cars are doing, you know, how can we make ours as, you know, as competitive and as close as possible. I think it'll be interesting come Friday night if they, uh, you know, sit down, have the debrief, and figure out everything and come back Saturday morning and then have a heck of a run and qualifying because it's just not looking very bright for James Hinchcliffe to make it into the show right now, let alone win the Indianapolis 500. Moving on to my next question, is qualifying really that important at Indianapolis? I mean, we all know to a certain extent it is important. I mean, looking at it, you really don't have that great of a race car if you're starting in the back or even in the 20s. You simply can't win the Indianapolis 500 if your car doesn't have speed and and obviously, most importantly, doesn't handle very well. However, five of the last seven Indy 500 winners started between 11th and 20th. I think an outlier in the equation is the team that just missed their setup in qualifying, but they had a great race car overall balance-wise. Let me look at last year for Alexander Rossi. He had a bad qualifying session and had to start second to last. However, he was aggressive from the drop of the green flag and he was absolutely insane on restarts. I remember on one of the restarts towards the end of the race, he shot to the high line and got around five or six cars within two corners, and it was probably the most insane thing you'll see in an IndyCar. Rossi ended up fourth in the race, but he proved that you can start from anywhere in the field and still be in contention. Obviously, tomorrow, Saturday, May 18th, is qualifying for the Indianapolis 500, and it brings the, the question of the fastest 33 discussion. Should there be guaranteed spots in the 500 for bigger name drivers slash teams if they don't qualify on time? Honestly, it's a really tough question, but I see both sides of the equation. First off, let's start with the format the way it is now. Fastest 33. Obviously, last season, Aero Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport driver James Hinchcliffe failed to qualify, and it was straight up devastating. Not only for him and the team, but for fans and the sport of IndyCar in general as well. When the month of May started last season, Hinchcliffe was on basically all of Honda's advertisements on TV. He was their main spokesperson from IndyCar. For Honda's main guy in terms of popularity to not make the biggest race of the year, that's devastating from a marketing standpoint. Once he failed to qualify for the Indianapolis 500, they had to wipe all the ads from from TV. Main sponsor Arrow and other sponsors were left home out to dry after basically assuming he was a luck to make it into the field of 33. A lot of sponsors make their big payday and get the most publicity out of the Indianapolis 500. Fortunately for Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, Arrow expanded their support of the team last offseason by becoming a full partner, so SPM didn't lose any sponsorship despite getting bumped from the field of 33 last season. The fastest 33 is a tradition, and 1969 Indianapolis 500 winner Mario Andretti, I think, said it best. End quotes. Don't meddle with tradition. I have to stand for what I believe in. I'll be faulted for that, I know, but I think at Indy, what keeps this event as precious as it is, it's the tradition. You don't meddle with that. On the other side of things, I also feel like the 25-8 rule is very intriguing. The 25-8 rule was implemented in 1996 by Tony George that basically divided CART from the newly formed Indy Racing League. 
The rule called for 25 of the 33 positions to be set aside for IRL regulars, while the remaining 8 spots were up for grabs for the remaining entries. It may have been a nightmare back then, but I feel today it's a perfect situation. There's only 23 full-time entries in the 2019 series, and I feel that it's important for your main drivers that you market the entire season should be safely in the biggest race of the year. In all honesty, there's no real way to solve this issue completely. You have to keep the tradition, and that's what makes Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis 500 so special. Last week, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan driver Graham Ray Hall spoke to Motorsports Insider Jim Aiello about this debate. In quotes, as much as it would suck not to make the race, my dad didn't make the race, and he was an Indy 500 champion. He had Miller Beer as a sponsor, which was damn near a bigger sponsor than anyone else had in the sport at that time, and he watched from the grandstands. Ray Hall also said, you don't get to race in this race and compete in this race because it owed you. It's not owed to you. It's an honor to be a part of it, and therefore I'm not a fan. There's also the money side of things, and the number of investors you have in the sport. Sponsorship is huge in any sport. Without sponsorship, you're basically toast. Team owner's biggest selling point is the Indianapolis 500, and sponsors expect to be in the race. If one of the most popular drivers misses the race, it kills not only sponsorship, but viewing interest as well. Honestly, if Fernando Alonso you know, gets bumped from the Indianapolis 500, that's going to be worldwide news. And the amount of viewing from different countries is drastically going to fall just because, you know, Fernando Alonso, Formula One legend, missed the Indianapolis 500. Uh, I'm not going to bother watching it. There honestly won't be a clear solution to this, and in my opinion, as much as sponsorship and investors have to be heavily considered, I think the Indianapolis 500 has to be an exception. There's no race on the IndyCar schedule that will ever come even remotely close to the tradition, pageantry, and demand that this race has. It's as simple as that. That about wraps it up here on Friday, May 17th at 5.32. Wow, it only took me about an hour to record this? Dang, I'm actually surprised about that. But anyway, on next week's show on Monday, I'll be talking about Indianapolis 500 qualifying, what what went down, you know, who got bumped. I'll be talking about that for a little bit, and I'll be previewing the Indianapolis 500 on Friday, and I'll also be answering the question of this. What makes the Indianapolis 500 the greatest sporting event in the world? I'll catch you guys later. Thanks for listening.